Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, will begin reading at verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Forrest Gump is one of the greatest movies of all time, and I say that objectively. Right now, it ranks number 12 on IMBD's top movies of all time. It is the winner of six Academy Awards, many other award nominations, and because it came out in 1994, I don't think there will be any spoilers when I tell you that it's a, it's a touching movie that connects with many many audiences, because at its very core, it's a story about belonging. It's no secret that the main character in the story, Forrest, is, is someone who's maybe a little different, maybe cast on the outside by society, and perhaps no scene illustrates this more than one of the opening scenes. Maybe you remember it. Little Forrest getting on the school bus. He's got his apple in hand, shirt tucked in, and of course those bulky braces on his legs. You can tell as he's getting on the bus that that this isn't going to go well for him. And it doesn't. As soon as he gets on the bus, he begins the long march down the aisle as one kid after another puts their back up on the seat, stretches their arm out, to show him that he doesn't belong here. He's not welcome to sit by them. Some just look away, but others look right at him and say it. You can't sit here. It's a moving scene. Maybe it's even moved you to tears because it's a story that we can all relate to. That feeling of wanting to belong and, and maybe coming to a place for a very first time. Maybe you can remember back to your first day at school or, or at a new school, or maybe more recently, the first day at a new job. Everyone there knows each other, but they don't know you. Or maybe you've walked into a restaurant or a bar or a coffee shop, and the little bell dings above you as everyone on their swivel chairs turns and looks at you, and they don't even have to say it, but the looks on their faces say everything. You're not from here, are you? You don't belong here. Maybe it's even happened 
is you go to a church. You walk in and you're expecting that this of all places should be a place where you're welcomed, where you feel loved. But everyone seems to have a friend except you. People are connecting, having conversations. You walk in, you think you can find a place to sit, but there are coffee cups, jackets draped over every chair. And so you just take a seat at the back by yourself. I don't know, maybe one of these stories is something you can relate to, or maybe you have a story entirely your own. Just this past week, I was at a conference and I was one of the last people to go through the lunch line. And this is an important detail of the story. It was a pastor's conference, entirely made up of all pastors. And yet when I went through the lunch line and looked at the conference lunchroom and saw that there was very few tables left, I felt like I was back in grade school, middle school all over again. I was wondering where I should sit, if I would really be welcomed at the table I chose to sit down at. Maybe you've been on the other side of it too. Not only maybe have you been the new person, but you've seen that person, that kid, that adult walk in and they're dripping with loneliness, maybe a little bit of awkwardness and you can sense it, right? And yet too often we just stay in the safety and the security of our group because it is such a feeling that we want to avoid of of not belonging that maybe we're afraid that a little bit of awkwardness, a little bit of loneliness might rub off on us if we go and welcome them. Stories like Forrest Gump and the biblical narrative we're going to take a look at today they resonate and connect with us because we're social creatures who desire belonging. And what we're going to see in Matthew chapter 9 is how Jesus opens up his arms to someone who truly didn't belong. The main character in our story, other than Jesus, is a tax collector named Matthew. And Matthew didn't belong. And yet, Unlike other examples I've given earlier, Matthew didn't belong to anybody, to any group, and it was entirely his own fault. He had chosen to be a tax collector. And what a tax collector was, was a Jewish person who worked for the Roman government. They worked to collect taxes, but what they really would do was extort their own people by overcharging them and, well, taking away their livelihood, their money, their possessions. And they did it because they were in a job that ensured that they could charge whatever they want. So Matthew, he had it all. He had a nice house. He had nice clothes. He probably drove a nice chariot. But what Matthew didn't have is anyone to belong to. I once heard a pastor compare tax collectors maybe socially to what we might think of as drug dealers today. A person who who makes their livelihood by harming the well-being of their own people. That was how people looked socially at Matthew. But here's the thing. He wasn't accepted not by his Jewish people, and he wasn't accepted by his Roman bosses either because they didn't want to have anything to do with him. They just wanted his money. And so there was Matthew, someone who belonged to absolutely nobody, and for good reason did some pretty shady stuff. And yet Jesus comes along and he says to him, 
follow me. He told Matthew, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. And in just a moment, we're going to talk about that invitation that Jesus gave to Matthew and Matthew subsequently gave to Jesus. But first, I need to point this out. Jesus did this at work, at Matthew's place of work. Matthew's just sitting there like a toll collector, seated at his table while people come by. And Jesus stops him there to make a personal and ultimately spiritual connection to him. And that in and of itself is a lesson for us. How, how often don't we, don't we believe this narrative that, well, <laughs> no, I don't talk about spiritual things at work. No, 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 we do not talk about this, that, or religion in the office. And then what happens? Before long, not only are we not connecting about those very serious, very important things, but, but very soon, we're just not connecting, just not relating to the people we work with every day. God has called you. God has called you to the people that are in your life, including the people at work. And it is to speak words of grace and show acts of mercy to them. But oftentimes we think of it that we just have to be nice to them because we're paid to. If it wasn't my job, I don't know if I'd talk to them. And yet these are the very people that God has placed in our lives. Yet what does Jesus do? At work, he invites people over for dinner. He talks about spiritual things. And it wasn't because Jesus just needed to diversify his little congregation of apostles. You know, we have enough fishermen. Maybe we need to get some tax collectors. After all, we need some help with the books. No, it wasn't to reach out to just a new demographic. Jesus did this because he saw someone who needed to belong. And so this is what Jesus does. Jesus takes an invitation to go to Matthew's house for dinner. And that gets noticed. That gets noticed because it was a surprising thing in his culture. Well, to dine with the equivalent of drug dealers. And so when the Pharisees, the religious people saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see what happens? You take this, this group, this segment of society that had a very public, a very open sin, the tax collectors. And while the religious leaders were shunning them and, and wanting nothing to do with them, Jesus is, is seeking to be with them. Well, at any cost, the Pharisees and the religious people would avoid them. Jesus, at all costs, went to connect with them. While the religious people made excuses not to be with them, Jesus took any excuse to go and, and welcome them. And this wasn't just a one-time thing. This wasn't just with Matthew. This is what you see Jesus doing again and again and again and again throughout his ministry, whether it was to sinners and tax collectors, prostitutes and foreigners, or people who publicly, openly sinned and everybody knew it. Jesus was there. And what it did was it enraged the religious people. Didn't make sense. Why would you do this? Yeah, look how Jesus responds. 
He said, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here you have a person whose sin was very well known. It was a public sin. Everyone knew what Matthew was doing. And because of his sin, his self-chosen profession, life of sin, what it did was it, it didn't just separate him from his fellow Jewish peoples or from society as a whole. It separated him from his father in heaven. And yet the very things that drove him to the fringes of society, the very thing that separated him from not just God, but the religious people, messiness, sinfulness, loneliness, baggage, a life full of guilt, these are the very things that drew Jesus to him. You see, it would be a pretty bad doctor, a pretty ineffective doctor, if a sick person came to them and they said, ew, no, I don't want to touch you. It'd be a pretty ineffective doctor if they were to operate on, on lungs or, or maybe a severed artery and they looked at it and they thought it was gross or maybe they just, they just fainted because they couldn't take in the sight. And it's the same with Jesus. He doesn't run. He, he's, he's the doctor of our souls who, who looks at all of the brokenness and wants to fix it, to heal it. Jesus looks at the problem of our sins, all the dirtiness, all the loneliness, all the messiness of our lives, and it's, it's not a problem to avoid. It's a problem that he wants to fix. It's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. It is not that I have come to call the righteous, but sinners. And, and that is what Jesus has done. That is what Jesus has done for all of us. He came to make the sinners righteous. And just for a moment, I want you to think about not just how he did it, but when he did it. At the Passover, Jesus celebrated the last meal with his disciples. And you want to know what took place the next day? All the little boys and girls in Jerusalem, all two million Jews that gathered there to celebrate this great high festival, they celebrated the belonging. They celebrated the unity that they had with God and with one another. And you want to know where Jesus was? He was outside the city, separated and isolated to die because he was the Lamb of God that came into the world, not just to be painted with his blood above the doorframe, but to Pay for your sins and mine. On that same afternoon, he, he was outside on a hill called Calvary, and, and there he shouted out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Literally, God, why don't you look at me as one son who belongs to you, the Father, anymore? He separated all of that, the condemnation, the hell, for us. And why? Well, he did it for all of the times where Religious people looked down on somebody who wasn't like them, who thought it might tarnish their reputation just a little too much if they showed empathy and kindness to them. As for all the times where we looked at someone who just might be lonely or just a little awkward and just want to belong and just look the other way. 
what Jesus did on that Good Good Friday and Easter Sunday and in the waters of your baptism is he opened up his arms on a cross to pay for all of your sins and yet simultaneously welcome all of us in. He gave up all of his belonging, all of the good that he had of experiencing unity with the Father so that you and I might belong to him forever. And now there's none. There's no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no separation. For those of you who by the same spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the dead, have that spirit living in you, you have that sense of belonging forever. We needed to start there. You needed to know that. Because this month, we're in a sermon series called A God-Lived Life. And we're going to talk about what that means for us to live a God-lived life. But it starts with knowing that there is a God who lived life on earth here perfectly for you, died for you and rose for you, and at this very moment is doing all things to work out your salvation for you. And he did it all so that you belong to him eternally, forever. You needed to know that. We needed to start there so that that you are certain whose you are and who you are and where you are. You are standing in grace. You are the father's daughter and his son. That is whose you are. That is who you are. And what we're going to do for the next four weeks is is start out from that place every single week. And what we're going to have is is a stewardship, but not a stewardship series. The next four weeks are going to be a stewardship challenge. Stewardship is is taking everything that God has given you, your time, your talents, not just your money, but everything that is in your life and and giving it back to him. And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at God's word and how it challenges us to live a God-lived life that is far different from a life lived without him, without knowing who he is and what he's done for us. We're looking at a life lived as a disciple, a life lived in service to others, a life lived in stewardship of everything. But today we're looking at a life of hospitality. What do you think of when you you just hear that word hospitality? Maybe you think of the hospitality industry, you think of hotels and restaurants, or maybe you think, I'm hospitable, I have my friends over. But what the biblical idea of hospitality does is, is challenge just how hospitable we think we really are. Every time we read the word hospitality in our English words, what it does is it comes from a Greek word. A Greek word is philoxenia. And what that word comes from is not really just one word, but two. You, you recognize philo, like Philadelphia. It means to love. And you recognize xenia, like maybe xenophobia, the fear of strangers. But this is the opposite. You put those together and, and what you read when you read that word, philoxenia, is the love of strangers. That's what hospitality is. It is loving strangers. It is looking at people who culturally, economically, politically, sexually are very much on the opposite ends of whatever spectrum you're looking at than us and showing love, Christian love, to them. It is looking at people who are lonely, people who are, who are isolated spiritually, emotionally, physically, and it is opening wide your arms to them. 
what the biblical idea of hospitality is, is the opposite of what your mommy and daddy told you growing up. They said, don't talk to strangers. When Jesus talks about hospitality, he's talking about not just talking to them, not just welcoming them, but loving them like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us. And that's really what it's all about. Knowing Christ's love completely changes our hearts and the ways we think about hospitality. Romans chapter five, verse eight tells us, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The rest of the Bible makes it even worse than just sinners. While we were enemies of God, that is when Christ died for us. More than just strangers, more than just separated from him, that is when Christ Jesus opened up his arms and welcomed us to him to belong to him. And it motivates us to show hospitality to others. You want a biblical example of it, of how Christ's love changes our ideas of hospitality towards others? Look no further than Matthew. There was one verse that we skipped over. It was verse 10. Jesus called Matthew to be his disciple. And look at the very, very next thing that we see Matthew do. He invites his friends over. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Matthew's immediate response was to go to his friends, his relative, his associates, his business associates, and gather them together so that they might meet his best friend, Jesus. And that's what our hospitality is too. It is looking at the people that God has called us to in our lives, the people we pass by every single day at work, at school, at home, our neighborhoods, our family and friends. And it is thinking about how we can open up our lives, our homes to them so that we can just show Christ's love to them and And if we do have the opportunity, introduce them to our best friend. Started out the sermon talking about that scene from Forrest Gump. You remember how it ends? Forrest gets to the back and he he sits down in the back of the bus and he's almost in complete despair. And that's when someone speaks up. It's Jenny who says, you can sit here if you want to. And Forrest describes that as the sweetest voice on earth. <laughs> he goes on to say what happened was a conversation. Some, no one, he said, no one ever talked to me and asked me questions like this besides my mother. And you know what happens. It, it leads to a lifelong friendship. And that's really the point. You don't have to be like Matthew You don't have to throw a banquet for all your friends and family and get out a PowerPoint and here's Jesus and tell them about it. It could just be that simple. An act of kindness, offering a seat, holding open the door, taking time out of your busy schedule because that's just it. We say it all the time. We say, yeah, hospitality is great, but but I'm so busy. Or maybe my house is just too messy. And it's so easy to make excuses. 
to be kind of like the Pharisees were, that you think Jesus' concept of, of biblical hospitality is, is ridiculous. It's unreasonable. But I said this is a challenge, right? So you look at any excuse we have for not showing hospitality, love for strangers, and you think about why that is. And most often, the reasons are because of pride. The messy house excuse, what are we worried about? That, that someone's going to look at our messiness and find out we're not actually perfect? What are we worried about with, with time? What are we saying when we say we don't have time? That, that we don't value other people? That they're not, they're not important enough for us? No, it could be the simplest thing. Simply saying hello, simply asking how their day was, but then, then stopping to actually listen how it is. Could be a simple joke, an invitation for dinner or for drinks, an invitation to church, but it doesn't even have to be that. What we don't know is all of the different ways that God is presenting us with opportunities to do that. But what we do know is this, is that God will use those opportunities where we show love to strangers, like Christ showed love to us, to allow us to introduce people to not just a relationship with us, but to our best friend. May God grant that. May God grant hearts of love, lives of hospitality, for Jesus' sake. Amen.